بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم in the name of Allah the most beneficent the most merciful i testify that there is no true god worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger we continue the explanation of umdat al ahkam and we have reached hadith number 24 an abad bin تميم عن عبد الله بن زيد بن عاصم المازني رضي الله عنه قال شكي إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم الرجل يخيل إليه أنه يجد الشيء في الصلاة فقال لا ينصرف حتى يسمع صوتا أو يجد ريحا a person made a complaint on Abbad bin Tamim and Abdullah bin Zayd uh, and this is Abdullah uh, bin Zayd himself uh, as in the narration that came in Al-Bukhari made a complaint to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he entertained doubt as uh, to if something had happened to him breaking his ablution uh, so he the Prophet sallallahu said he should not return uh, from Salah unless he hears a sound or perceives a smell and he should not uh, leave the Salah he should not leave the Salah unless uh, unless he hears a sound or perceives a smell the narrators Abad bin Tamim bin Zayd rahimahullah a trustworthy from the successors to the companions this is what is يعني, uh, known about him Abdullah bin Zayd bin Asim we spoke about his biography in uh, the discussion concerning hadith number 8 so we don't have to repeat that the, the subject of the hadith the ruling concerning doubt uh, if doubt whether a person nullified his state of purification uh, if the person originally was on tahara on purity so this concerns the doubt about these matters <coughs> and the overall explanation A person may be in a state of tahara and then starts feeling something occurring to him and then he thinks that he uh, may uh, had broken his uh, state of purity and becomes worried about that and in this hadith the Prophet والسلام, The Prophet ﷺ directs the Ummah so that it becomes comfortable and relieves itself from doubt whereby he gave a fatwa to Abdullah bin Zayd when he asked him about this problem and therefore he directed him to build in his decision upon the original foundation and that is Tahara 
being in a state of tahara and to stay in his salah not leaving the salah until he is certain that the state of purification is annulled by way of hearing or by way of uh, smell a sound, here's a sound, uh, perceives a smell in terms of passing wind the benefits of this hadith the benefits of this hadith number one that the person in a state of purity if he doubts that he nullified this state then he must not make wudu unless he is certain that he did so unless he is certain that he did so the second benefit the second benefit a person must not leave the salah just by mere doubt that he broke his state of purification doubting that he ahdata broke his purity it's therefore he must not leave the salah just by mere doubt that he broke his state of purification the third benefit that the passing of wind is a nullifier of wudu is a nullifier of wudu whether the person perceives that by way of hearing or by way of smell or otherwise the fourth benefit that it is from the etiquette that the person avoids certain words which are considered uh, some people feel shy about hearing them this hadith also proves three fundamental matters of sharia this hadith proves three fundamental matters of sharia the first matter اليقين اليقين لا يزول بالشك what's certain cannot be nullified by mere doubt and this covers all matters of fiqh this covers all matters of fiqh because the Prophet ﷺ said let him not leave unless he hears something or smells something because his purification is certain and delusion and delusion and uh, doubt are not so this is the first foundation al-yaqinu la yazulu bil-shak 
what's certain cannot be nullified by mere doubt and we know the evidence is this hadith of course the second al-yaqinu la yazulu illa biyaqin what's certain cannot be nullified except by that which is certain this is the second foundation al-yaqinu la yazulu illa biyaqin what's certain cannot be nullified except by that which is certain the third al-aslu baqa'u ma kana ala ma kan al-aslu baqa'u ma kana ala ma kan existence or continuity of things are based upon the origin meaning in other words things remain upon their origin things remain upon their origin and therefore whoever makes purification or enters a state of purification and then doubts the origin is that purification remains that he is still on purity because the origin is certainty it is certain that he made the tahara in the first place mere doubt makes it unlawful for him to leave the salah because the Prophet ﷺ said لا ينصرف he should not leave وهذا أمر وجوبي meaning this is an obligatory, obligatory command now if he hears a sound or smells something then he leaves without making salam he leaves the salah without making salam because the taslim is the mark of ending the salah and completing it and here he didn't if he leaves because of breaking the purity here in this case his salah is annulled, nullified is void and therefore he does not make salam and also based upon these uh, rulings we, these foundations whoever enters in a state of salah while he is in a state of impurity
and during the salah he remembers that he is not in a state of purity in this case his actual commencement of the salah did not take place to start with however if a person enters the salah then he nullifies his state of purity therein here it is said that he entered the actual commencement of Salah to start with then it was nullified afterwards and these have certain benefits this understanding brings certain benefits there's a difference between the two states here whoever enters in a state of Salah while in a state of impurity and starts with and during the Salah he remembers that he is not in a state of purity then in this case his actual commencement did not take place however if he enters the Salah then nullifies his state of purity therein during the Salah there is it said that he entered the actual state of Salah to begin with and then he nullified afterwards take now some of the benefits if a person is on a journey and prays behind a resident imam and the resident imam completes his salah dhuhr 4, asr 4 now this one on a journey who is following this resident imam during the salah he becomes certain that he entered the Salah in a state of impurity here his Salah is nullified is originally nullified so if he returns to pray to do or redo the Salah then in this case he makes the Salah two rak'ah because he did not follow the Imam correctly in the first place he is not in a state of Tahara in the first place is this clear? is this clear? okay Tayyip here a person enters to pray he is on a journey and he is praying behind a resident imam and the resident imam completes his salah if it is dhuhr he will make it four if it is asr he makes it four if it is isha he makes it four and we know the traveler prays the salah two rak'ah if he is on a journey he shortens the salah now if he enters and is led by this resident imam and during the Salah he remembers with certainty that he entered the Salah in a state of impurity now he leaves 
and then when he returns to make the salah he can do the salah now not as four but as two why? because in the very first in the very beginning he did not he was not in a state of purity to begin with so his actual salah did not commence behind a resident imam you see this now? take the second situation now a person on a journey led by a resident imam and then he breaks his wudu during the salah in this case he repeats the salah for rakah because his salah is from the beginning linked to the salah of the imam is this clear now and is the difference between the two states clear between the two examples in the second example he actually commenced the salah and the following of the imam the next point of benefit and this is also very important doubt doubt should not be considered nor any attention given to it in three situations in three situations in shakka لا عبرة فيه ولا يلتفت إليه في ثلاث مسائل الشك doubt is not to be considered nor attention given to it in three situations number one if the person doubts a lot such that whenever he enters a state of worship except that he doubts therefore in this case his doubt is not considered because this is whispering and he is ill this is whispering هذا وسواس the second situation if the doubt is just a delusion not real or a thought also this is not to be considered the third situation إذا كان الشك بعد الفراغ من العبادة if the doubt arises or occurs after the worship is concluded in this case no attention should be given to it the only considered doubt al-shakul mu'tabar is the real doubt 
such that if the person concludes the worship and he truly doubts and his doubt is real then in this case it should be considered other than that it shouldn't be the, this brings the end of hadith number 24 and we move to hadith number 25 Are these matters that you heard clear to you now? As we said, this hadith is a great hadith and foundation in Sharia. طيب. We move now to the next hadith. عن أم قيس بنت محصن الأسدية أنها أتت بابن لها صغير لم يأكل الطعام إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فأجلسه في حجره فبال على ثوبه فدعا بماء فنضحه على ثوبه ولم يغسله أند إن الحديث عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أتي بصبي فبال على ثوبه فدعا بماء فأتبعه إياه ولمسلم فأتبعه بوله ولم يغسله عن أم قيس بنت محصن الأسدية شيسد that she brought a young boy لم يأكل الطعام who had not started eating ordinary food she brought him to Allah's messenger sallallahu who took him and made him sit in his lap the child urinated on the garment of the prophet sallallahu so he asked for water and poured it over the soiled area and did not wash it and in the hadith of Aisha she said that a child was brought to the messenger وسلم, and the child is a boy child urinated on the garment of the Prophet so the Prophet asked for water and poured it over the soiled place and in Sahih Muslim and sprinkled it but he did not wash he did not wash it these two narrations the first narrator is Umm Qais bint Mahsin al-Asadiyyah she is the sister of Ukasha bin Mahsin May Allah be pleased with both of them. She accepted Islam early and she migrated to Medina and she lived a long life. Second, Umm al Mu'mineen, Aisha radiallahu anha, and we gave her biography earlier in hadith number three. 
Ummu Qais she brought a baby boy to the Prophet and he was not named his name is not known but this boy died at an early age and she was grieved for his death so she told the person who was washing the boy لا تغسل ابني بالماء البارد فتقتله don't wash my son with cold water it will kill him and you, you may kill him so the Prophet ﷺ was told of what she said so he smiled and said ما قالت طال عمرها what did she say may Allah extend her life and she indeed lived long So she brought this baby boy to the Prophet ﷺ. And it was the habit of the messenger of the companions of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to bring their children to the Prophet ﷺ upon birth. Why? Liuhannikahum wayadu lahum so that to make tahnik for them and invoke Allah for them and tahnik is to take a piece of date and chew on it so that it softens then take the soft flesh and go over the jaws of the born round the joys and rub it against the jaw this is called tahnik and this is a sunnah of the Prophet so a Muslim can do that for his born child upon birth do that and the Prophet used to make dua for them so they brought their children so to have the Prophet make tahnik for them and to invoke them and his invocation is a blessing and to touch them وكان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم qualified with the best manners and best character عليه الصلاة والسلام so he used to receive that from the companions and hug their children and put them in his lap عليه الصلاة والسلام as a mercy to them and to bring happiness to their families and here in this hadith آمنة بنت محسن الأسدية أم قيس tells of her bringing a baby boy to the Prophet and he didn't reach of course the stage of, uh, of, of puberty and did not reach the age even whereby he could eat ordinary food as a nourishment so the Prophet took him and put him in his lap and he urinated on the garment of the Prophet the Prophet ﷺ was not agitated nor his chest was constrained and did not ill speak to the family or he only said he requested some water and poured that on his garment and did not wash it 
Also, Aisha narrated a similar incident where a, bo- a baby boy was brought to the Messenger وسلم, in order to make technique for him. And he urinated on the garment of the Prophet والسلام, so he called for water and followed the area and soiled the area without rubbing and without too much water sprinkled without rubbing and certainly without washing the washing with rubbing and so forth now the benefits of this hadith the good character of the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam because he was tolerant and did not speak bad to the boy's family or in any way mistreat them because of what happened second benefit the urine of the baby boy who is not on ordinary food because of his young age can be purified by sprinkling the water without washing however the baby girl her urine is to be washed her urine is to be washed whether she took the food the ordinary food or not as in the hadith which we will also where the Prophet ﷺ said يغسل من بول الجارية ويرش من بول الغلام The urine of a baby girl should be washed off and the urine of a baby boy should be sprinkled and we will talk about the difference between the two the third benefit as to the defecation then it's a must to be washed like the rest of filth the fourth benefit one should hasten to purify the place from impurity lest the person forgets fifth benefit concerning if most of the nourishment of the baby boy comes from milk and this milk is from mother's milk or an animal's milk, cow milk, goat milk you know it also even the dry milk reconstituted dry milk if most of the nourishment of the boy is from milk then as it is in this hadith then suffice to sprinkle the area and not wash it suffice to sprinkle the area and not wash it if most of the nourishment of the baby boy comes from milk and this milk is from mother's milk or animal milk, cow, goat, you name it 
Second, six benefits. If most of his nourishment comes from ordinary food, then it's a must to wash. If most of his nourishment comes from ordinary food, then it's a must to wash. Seventh benefit. If the nourishment is equally from both, If the nourishment is equal from both sources, regular food and milk, in this case it's a must to wash because, remember the following foundation, because إِذَا اجْتَمَعَ مُبِيحٌ وَحَاضِرٌ فَيُغَلَّبُ جَانِبُ الْحَظْرِ that is because whenever something is allowable and something is not prohibiting then the prohibiting takes precedence when both are present concerning one matter then in this case the prohibiting ruling takes precedence and therefore in accordance with this the nourishment if it is equal from both sources regular food and milk then the al-hadr prohibition and thus al-ghusl not the sprinkling takes precedence is this clear? is this clear? so this is the condition of the food of the nourishment of the baby boy three cases if most of his nourishment is from milk then sprinkle if most of his nourishment is from regular food then wash if both are equal then it's a must to wash is that clear now inshallah what about the rest Bye. In this hadith, there is a benefit. Affirming the distinction between males and females regarding rulings. The next benefit. Isbatul farqi bayna al-dhakari wal-unsa fi al-ahkam wahwa amrun waqa'a. في أحكام الله القدرية والشرعية. This hadith affirms the distinction between male and female regarding rulings, and this is a real matter. And this covers both the universal rulings, الأحكام القدرية pertaining to creation. And also the legal rulings. فَبَيْنَهُمَا فَرْقٌ شَرْعًا وَقَدَرًا There is a distinction legal as well as creational. Generally, 
the male is stronger than the female meaning in kind not meaning in every case of an every individual but in kind males are stronger and it is therefore from the wisdom of the legislator to ban the visiting of the graves for women and following the funerals because of the issue of forbearing as to the legal differences there are many attendance of congregational prayers the rulings are different also there are rulings that are specific to women and our rulings that are specific to men and rulings are equal for both and this is this is the norm, almost the norm most of it rather most of the rulings are equal for both addressing both as to the sprinkling of the urine for the baby boy who is mostly on milk nutrition while washing the baby girl's urine the hikmah the wisdom behind this the wisdom al-farq baynahuma huwa hukmullahi wa rasooluh the difference is the ruling suffice that this is the ruling of Allah and his messenger whenever Allah and his messenger decree something and differentiate between two things or two matters that are close then the illa, the cause is it is the ruling of Allah and his messenger and this is a convincing cause and a convincing wisdom for the believers and it does not require any additional discussions because the believer believes that this is the ruling of Allah and that the rulings of Allah are based upon hikmah and when we believe that the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his legislations, legislations are based upon hikmah then we should know that there is a hikmah therefore which necessitated the different ruling for each one of them and in this way we become convinced and many of you know of the story when a woman asked Aisha radiallahu anha ma balul haidi taqdi sawma wala taqdi salah what's the matter with the woman in a state of menses she does not make up the salah but rather makes up the fasting that she misses what was the answer of Aisha radiallahu anha she said kana yusibuna thalik fanu'maru biqada'i sawm wala nu'maru biqada'i salah this used to occur to us and we were commanded to make up the sawm the fasting but we were not commanded to make the salah and, the, and she left her with this as the answer for the hikmah 
This is the hikmah, that it is the ruling. Some of the scholars, rahimahumullah, spoke about hikmah behind this difference. And they said that the nourishment, which is the milk, is something agreeable and light. It is not like the heavy food, where the heavy food may remain While the milk nourishment is light, it gets absorbed swiftly by the stomach and by the circulation. And a light thing comes out from it. It's not as the case of the food where it's more concentrated, what comes out. So that's why its bowel, its urine is light in impurity. And that's why there is a difference between the smell of the baby boy's urine and that of the baby girl's. And that the impurity in the baby girl, baby boy is lesser than that of the baby girl. And also said that the urine of the boy comes from a hole in a tube. And this necessitates that it spreads and covers a wider area. And it would be difficult, therefore, to take precaution from that compared with the urine of the baby girl where it comes from a wider hole and it settles in one place and therefore what touches the garment of it would be lesser than what will occur with the spreading of the baby boy's urine the Next benefit, or additional benefit to that, they mentioned that the male is energetic, it's, it's his, his nature is warmer, and this lightens from the smell of the urine, and that of the girl is colder, and therefore the smell would be stronger. The next benefit, both urines, whether for a baby girl or a baby boy, are impure. Although there is a difference in terms of the cleansing. The last point of benefit is that it is permissible to explicitly say the word urine for the describing the urine of the boy or the girl even though some people feel hesitant to use the word urine or urination 
they may say for example um, I want to get rid of the water or refer that to as water but we say as our Prophet said يُغْسَلُ مِنْ بَوْلِ الْجَارِيَةِ وَيُرَشُّ مِنْ بَوْلِ الْغُلَامِ The urine of the female girl is to be washed while the urine of the male boy is to be sprinkled. This brings the end of the discussion on this hadith. Allah Ta'ala Ala wa Alam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.